Listeners, it's Sam here again, and just the usual shout out for our brilliant sponsors before this week's show. Paces Ahead have courses for the start of 2024, and listeners, here's a possible sweetener for you. I will be there at their first course of 2024. That's the 16th to the 19th of January. Please do come along and say hi if you catch me. It would be great to meet some of you if you're there. But there is also a course the following week from the 20th to the 23rd of January for those of you sitting in the first diet of 2024. Not only that, but they also have courses lined up for May as well. The 20th to the 23rd of May and the 28th to the 31st of May. I highly recommend booking on early to avoid disappointment. They very regularly get oversubscribed. If you can't make a course though, past tests have got you covered with their market-leading online revision paces resource. I think most pacer sitters would agree this is more or less essential to have to complement your ward-based preparation. So to get access, just click any of the links in the show notes labelled past test. But enough on that for now, let's get started on this week's episode. Welcome back listeners, Sam here, and in this episode of the podcast, we were delighted to be joined once again by Dr. Jen Collinson, specialist registrar in acute medicine with a special interest in stroke. Jen last joined us to talk about TIAs all the way back in episode 13, and I asked her to join us once again in another one of our Being a MedReg series. Jen gives us a rundown on the role of the medical reg, the roles the medical reg should not be doing, And Jen gives us her top five tips for you to help run your own medical take as the reg on call. Lastly, I have to give a massive shout out to a few people who donated on our Buy Me A Coffee page. Tariq Ali, Mohammed Zaid and Simon and Rachel all donated and I couldn't be more grateful. I particularly loved Simon's uh, comment, giving his thanks for, in his words, helping a clueless anaesthetist limp through the exam. Ultimately, it doesn't matter how you pass paces, full marks, one mark over the pass mark, they all count. So wishing you all the best guys, wherever you are in your paces revision journey. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Jen Collinson. Welcome to the Pre-Paces podcast, where we are delighted to be welcoming back acute medical reg with a sub-specialty in stroke medicine. It's Dr. Jen Collinson back for more on the Pre-Paces podcast. Again, I just had such a great time the first time. I'm back. (laughs) And she's back again and back to discuss a really important topic for the majority of our listeners who in the near future or at least once they pass paces will be acting as the medical reg on call now jen just to set the record straight how long have you been medical regging for oh it's been six long years uh yeah i'm an st6 now uh but i took an extra out of program year um so yeah i think about six years with one to go Perfect. So we're going to be talking about some of the most important skills, what running the take actually means 
for a medical registrar. And Jen has gone the extra mile and given us a top five tips for running the medical take. So without further ado, I think let's get into it. So Jen, when we talk about running the medical take, what do we actually mean when we say that? Um, yeah, I think that's a really good starting point because um, I see my role as the registrar running the medical take as to keep all your fa- patients on the medical safe, te- sorry, to keep all your patients on the medical take as safe as possible. Um, so what it's not is you trying to see as many patients as possible or preventing inappropriate patients coming to medicine or um, clerking every patient that you're not sure what's wrong with them. And I think all of that can be quite distracting to what really your role is, is to have a a broad oversight of what's going on. Um, Know who your sickest patients are, who's looking after them, um, what their kind of trajectory is and and what the next steps need to be for them. Um, And everything else is secondary. And then what are some of the, the key responsibilities of the medical reg? Because when you're on the acute take, you must be extremely busy. So what are the key responsibilities that a good medical reg who's on take needs to possess? So, yeah, I think that the, the top responsibility, like I said, is to keep all the patients safe. And that involves knowing who is sickest. Um, but apart from that, there are other responsibilities that are, are important. It's also you need to support your team. Um, so you need to know who everybody is and what their level of expertise is and, and what kind of support they're going to need from you. Um, the other role that's lesser but also important is gatekeeping. So making sure that the right stuff comes into medicine um, and patients aren't uh, patients care isn't compromised by them coming under the wrong specialty. Um, and one that goes hand in hand with that is making sure that patients are coming into hospital appropriately. So um, making sure that patients aren't coming in for uh, things that could be managed safely at home. Yeah, so lots of things going on when you're managing the medical take and lots of responsibilities. But I think it's useful to have it clear in your head that the first thing is to know, you know, to, to look after the sickest patients. Great. And Jen, I've heard on the grapevine, you've gone the extra mile for us this time, and you've devised your top five tips for aspiring medical regs on take. So I think without further ado, we better just give you the floor. <laughs> okay, well, um, the top tip is, I've said it a few times, is um, look after your sick patients. So that involves knowing who they are. That's often the the the, the first battle, is when you come onto a medical... Um, take shift and there's 20 waiting to be seen um it can be really hard to pick out who the priorities are there so often when i come on to that kind of shift i spend the first 20 minutes or so of the shift going through all the patients that are waiting to be seen and working out who is sick and sometimes that's something you can do sat at the computer but sometimes a quicker way of doing that is to go to ed or to the nurse in charge of amu and say who is sick um and they can more often than not point you in the right direction and then as a kind of um follow on from that you need to assign people to the sick patients who you can trust or who who are experienced enough to do that so um that's part of the kind of management role of being a medical registrar is knowing 
um, how to manage multiple sick patients at the same time. So um, you can't physically see them all. So you need to see the most urgent maybe, and then allocate others to, to senior SHOs or, um, or maybe even intensive care. Sometimes they're really helpful. If you immediately identify patients sick and for full escalation, you can get intensive care there and actually walk away feeling comfortable that that patient's in safe hands. The other thing is often when you're on the medical take, you're still responsible for patients that um, are in AMU that have been clerked from the day shift. So um, you need to know where your sickest patients are and also who's looking after them, what stage of their journey they're at. That is down to a good handover often at the start of the shift. So don't let people leave handover until you're satisfied that you've got all the information that you need. And if, if they can't give it to you, you need to work it out as soon as the handover finishes. So yeah, that's top tip number one. Um, prioritise your sick patients and um, use your team to manage them. Uh, number two is know who your team are. Um, at the beginning of a shift, try and get a sense for what level of doctor they are. So if they say they're an SHO, I'll often say what kind of SHO in, in a kind way, I hope. Um, but there's a big difference between an F2 and a post-paces CT2. So it's very useful to know that up front. Um, and as well as knowing their levels of competence, it's useful to know their levels of confidence. And you usually work that quite quickly, work that out quite quickly. Um, but that, that can help you negotiate how involved to be with those junior doctors um, management plans. Uh, it's, that's often easier at the end of a year when you've used to working with people. But um, I always start a shift by saying, asking Get, trying to get to know my team a little bit more, but also um, encouraging them to come and find me if they have any questions. So I guess that leads on to my third top tip, which is be available. So be available to your juniors who um, often are managing uh, unfamiliar medical conditions and there's often quite high levels of anxiety, particularly if they're F2s who, who haven't done a lot of medicine. Um, so you kind of owe it to them to, to be around to answer questions and not make them feel silly when they do. Um, the other thing is be available to A&E. So um, I think it's really important as the Oncle Medical Registrar to be to be um, friendly to A&E and to be accessible to them. They're not our enemies. And they often, when there's a dialogue between you and the A&E staff, the patients are managed much better. So they, they will tend to come to you and, and voluntarily tell you about the sick patients that are coming away or about patients that maybe could be discharged, what do you think? And then you can make a management plan together. So often things work much more smoothly if you're not pushing everything away, but actually inviting things. And that feels kind of counterintuitive because you are creating more work for yourself um, in, in a way, but actually you're going to save yourself a lot of time and grief. Sometimes when you have a, you know F1s and F2s on the medical take, sometimes they can be let's say resistant to see some of the less interesting less complex and less sick patients or you know inverted commas social admissions or straightforward admissions for yeah. chest pain or something which is straightforward how best do you manage any sort of resistance you may get from sort of junior colleagues uh i think generally being uh 
Well, I think leading by example is always a good way to be. So, you know, those patients aren't super uh, exciting for anyone, I guess. Um, But there's always interest in them if you look hard enough. And you as a registrar, it's not above you to clerk patients who've come in with a sprained ankle and need some physio in the morning either. Um, So, yes, I would leave with an example, try and infuse people to like find the interest in patients. Yeah, I think that's it. I don't know. What do you think? I, don't, I actually don't find that to be a big problem. I think mostly people are are um, responsible and do their job without. I mean, they may complain, but it won't actually stop them from doing it. Yeah, I agree. I think the majority of the time that that hasn't been the case when I've been on on the take, but it's happened very infrequently where. Yeah, maybe an F one wants to see you know something more complex than another full query oh. cause. But then basically you're dealing with a cocky junior, and that's a whole different um, set of skills. And usually, I actually do the opposite, and, and instead of being super encouraging, I'm quite firm with them, um, and say, "I'm I'm sorry, but you you know that patient deserves attention as much as any other, and and they're next to be seen, so off you go." <laughs> um, I think sometimes you you have to be, yeah, you have to lay down the line. So what was uh, Uh, top tip number four we're on to now? uh, Top tip number four is understand how your hospital works. So um, it is really useful if you're able to redirect things in the right um, to the right service. So particularly patients that could be discharged, but need some extra tests or you're, you know, you feel a little bit uncomfortable because their CRP is really high, whatever it is, those patients are perfect for ambulatory care. So you, it's useful to know what kind of patients your ambulatory care are comfortable taking, how you refer to them out of hours, what opening hours they have. Um, and, Often, often ambulatory care manage things like PEs and DVTs. So um, you want to know if they're open at the weekends and, and um, yeah, if, if they have protocols or if they have kind of um, infrastructure for managing those, those kind of conditions. Um, and then apart from kind of outpatient services, it's useful to understand hospital processes for things out of hours. So particularly pacing, um, STEMIs, strokes, renal things, interventional radiology. Each hospital has different services in and out of hours for all of those things. So um, it's really important on your first few shifts as a medical reg that you ask, you know, what happens for all of these conditions out of hours because it can really like get you out of a sticky spot when in the middle of the night you're trying to thrombolize a stroke by yourself when actually there is a stroke and something on call um yeah so that's tip number four and then yeah as part of that understanding the hospital is understanding who to call when you need help so like i said they may well be a specialist on call but also um never forget that ed are really helpful and sometimes um, if there's a procedure that you don't feel that confident with or 
I mean, I, the, the last thing I remember asking an ED physician is how I prescribe a naloxone infusion because I just hadn't come across it before. And I wasn't sure of the dosing and the BNF was really unclear. So the ED consultant was great. And obviously they do that all the time. So um, if you feel a bit intimidated to pick up the call at the phone in the middle of the night to the general medical consultant, then usually there's somebody senior in ED who might know the answer. Yeah. Similarly, ICU. Um, and in some hospitals, you're lucky enough to work with another medical registrar who might be on the medical tape, uh, who might be covering the wards. So that is just a godsend if that happens. So you can bounce off difficult decisions and specialty, you know, specialty specific things off there. Um, but there is always somebody to talk to, always, always. And um, if you're really starting to sweat over something, then just pick up the phone to the general medical consultant and, and they will not mind. They're paid to help you out of hours. Um, and, you know, they've all been there. So just call someone. Um, and then the final tip is about self-care. Look after yourself. It's a really difficult job, especially when you start off. There's hundreds of things going on. It's really it can be really overwhelming um and we've all been in that position of, of hiding in the toilets just not wanting to come out because the bleep's going mental and the f2 is crying and the <laughs> and resus has got a patient with a lactate of 12 that you haven't got around to seeing yet and you know that's that happens and um you're no good to anyone if you haven't looked after yourself so um take breaks uh speak to colleagues, debrief stuff that's on your mind after you've had a difficult shift, um, take time off. Um, and yeah, medical regs need, need TLC as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, all in all, I would say it's a great job. I've loved doing it. It's, there's a lot of satisfaction in, you know, looking after your patients and your, your junior team well and knowing at the end of the, the shift that everyone was safe you all worked as a team really well and you know you have saved lives so um enjoy it <laughs> yeah and one thing i just add on to that final top tip where, which is you know so critically important that looking after yourself you can't look after the patients unless you're looking after yourself is also look after the rest of the team so some of the best medical regs that i've worked with have um you know made the effort to make sure that you know we all at you know we're going to have lunch at one o'clock we're all gonna you know get off the walls together and we're going to go and have lunch together to make sure that you have that time um set aside and there's an expectation that that's going to happen and I've always found that to be not only you know, beneficial in the sense of, you know, you're getting something to eat and eat and drink and whatever, but it also gives you an informal environment where they can come to you to discuss the difficult cases or discuss yeah. difficult patients with you. So I thought I'd just add that. Yeah, I mean, that role. is a hundred percent true in that, like I said, with the kind of be available point is that if people feel comfortable to talk to you about either a, a clinical thing that they're not sure about or the fact that they feel overwhelmed or stressed or um, upset because their dad died yesterday or whatever it is, then you are going to get the best out of your team that way. And, and they're going to, you know, feel positive about medicine, which is really important. And um, yeah, I mean, I, 
over the years, I mean, I remember as an SHO feeling real delight when I was bought breakfast at the end of a night shift by the medical reg. So I do try and do that. And I have to say it's worth the £10 for five rounds of breakfast at the <laughs> at the really cheap hospital canteen. So, um, yeah, that feel good factor goes a long way. So, Jen, thank you so much for coming um, back on the show. We are just about out of time for this episode, but we do have to pay you thanks again for coming back to join us on this episode of the pre-paces podcast where we've discussed running the medical take oh you're very welcome i really hope that's helpful um and yeah i always enjoy your podcast sam um, anytime <laughs> thank you so much jen and if anyone else out there enjoys the podcast as much as jen does please feel free to get in touch with us on twitter it's at pre-paces podcast you can email us pre-paces podcast at gmail.com like comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we're just about out of time and we will see you next time on the pre paces podcast